0: it's an old-fashioned notion but the world can still use them ready whatever it takes whatever it takes we destroyed thanos but it's not over my work is inevitable there will always be more to finish it
1: This is just the beginning.
0: She tore a hole in space. There's a different reality
1: leading into ours.
0: What are you prepared to do?
1: I'm invincible. Your powers only make me stronger. So you can't be matched. can't be controlled. I'm asking... One last fight. Marga! you cannot protect your people. But you can stand alone
0: without standing alone.
1: They're here. The Marvels rated PG-13.
0: Monica, you gotta fly.
1: No, no, no. I... Black girl magic. In Peter's Friday, get tickets now. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 217th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, as always, there will be spoilers, folks, especially for this one, because it's a very new movie. As so you have been warned, I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick. And as always, joining me is my podcaster partner in crime and wonderful friend, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey Keith, how are you today?
0: Oh, I can't complain. I'm finally kicked that headache from last week. I'm all ready to talk about this Marvels movie. It was a marvelous movie, and I promise I'll be making tons of Marvel puns all through this episode.
1: Okay, well, I guess once again, there are spoilers, folks, you have been warned. So Exactly. <laughs> As Keith was mentioning there, today we are discussing The Marvels from 2023. This was directed by Nia DaCosta at her third directorial movie. Before this, she had directed The Candyman movie from 2021, which was a direct sequel to the 92 original. And before that, a crime drama film called Little Woods. Nia co-wrote the story with Megan McDonnell and Alyssa Karasik, Well, the score was by Laura Cartman, so an all-female behind-the-scenes team on this movie. And to put it into today's money, and of course it did come out this year, 2023, this movie cost $219 million to make, and so far has made $109 million at the box office, and has a runtime of roughly 1 hour and 45 minutes, so this makes it the shortest MCU movie to date. So, uh, Keith, when it comes to general impressions, what did you make of this latest offering from the MCU?
0: Well, it's kind of a mixed bag. I went into it very, I had set my expectations very low. And it was because originally I did not like the first Captain Marvel's movie and just her presence in the MCU was very stiff. So I kind of went into this expecting the same stiff Carol Danvers, but I did like... Monica Rambeau and the other young lady I just drew a blank on Miss Marvel um I liked both their characters in the TV show so I kind of had you know that trepid optimism because I'm like okay well they're good and Samuel L. Jackson is generally a good you know character to watch and he is full on Nick Fury all the time so going into the movie I was like all right this could be you know good bad or indifferent I was pleasantly surprised the first Twenty minutes of the movie was a little slow from my, you know, perspective. But otherwise, I, I we laughed our brains out. We laughed so hard we cried at several points in the movie theater. And the one thing I liked about this movie, opposed to say Ants Man or that dumpster fire, Thor, Love and Thunder, is the comedy and the jokes were natural and more organic it wasn't like an ant-man where they just kind of like rapid fire it. all it is is like a couple serious lines and just rapid fire jokes and sort of off the cuff takes this was there's some dialogue there's story xyz happens and occasionally somebody says something witty and sarcastic and funny and it makes sense like most of the stuff samuel L. jackson's character says like you know um black girl magic or whatever it was and i just died because i was like that's not a real line. I saw it in the trailer, and he says in the movie, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So there was a lot to light. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't, you know, a amazing, perfect movie. Me personally, I cringed at the musical number in the middle of the movie. I was like, what the F is going on? I was very confused. But at the same time, I did get a nice chuckle at um, when they meet uh, Captain Marvel's arranged husband and they pan to her and she turns in her outfit turns into a magic dress and i was like oh this is gonna be amazing this is like it's so dumb it's amazing and it was it was dumb and amazing all at the same time you had to laugh the song was a little cringy but whatever and the fact that he goes from singing to just talking in normal you know earth language and the two women are like Wait, why is he not singing? And Captain Marvel, without missing a beat, goes, Oh, well, he's bilingual. I damn near erupted in laughter. Actually, I probably did because it's a small theater. So, a lot of the sarcasm and the quick wit and the jokes landed very well. So, I I will say this that it, you know, all things being considered, it was very well. On the one negative I could say is the big bad, the knockoff Ronan the Accuser was very forgettable very generic very everything like if you could check the boxes of generic bad guy this character fell in it and it was sad because the reasons behind this character's motivations were reasonable in their mind completely flawed but reasonable nevertheless and it was just kind of a they glossed over a lot of things that happened off screen like oh There's this stuff that happened on Hela after Captain Marvel did a thing and they show you a flashback, but that's it. You show the fall of the AI that they use. No Civil War, but they just tell you about this. Like, well, there's this great Civil War and all this stuff happened. They don't show you any of that. It was just all this off-screen, hand-wavy stuff. That part of the story that I thought was kind of weak and could have been developed a little bit more, but I get it. It wasn't a, a major pushing point for the story. It was a reason for the actions, but didn't really kind of move the needle per se. Um, I, I will say that Danvers' character did grow in terms of emotional and character development from the first time you've seen her in the mo- Marvel's movie to this movie, or Captain Marvel rather, from Captain Marvel to now. You see her grow and... And I'm going to say become more of her true self because at the different points in the MCU universe, you know, timeline, you see her at different points in her life. You know, the first time we see her, she's that arrogant pilot, stuff happens too. And the next time you see her is a time jump of six years where she's been brainwashed for six solid years by the Kree. And then the next time you see her is when she's trying to figure out the programming. And at this point, has now been what are we talking like 30 years now or more? So she's finally kind of worked out most of the programming. She still can't remember a lot of her life. So this is kind of like the new Carol 2.0. And I appreciated that because again, when I first saw her, I thought she was very stiff in every iteration or, you know, kind of, uh, and now you see her more of what she's going to potentially be in the MCU. So, I'm glad. I liked the pacing of the movie, other than that initial Miss um, Marvel hump in the beginning, which was like 10 minutes. It went by relatively quickly. It was a brisk was it, 120 minutes, or just shy of 120 minutes. And I will say, I wish they kind of... I feel like they cut a scene out at the end, which we'll get to at that point when we discuss the story further, that I feel like they they dropped the ball a little bit on one story point. But they could save it for, you know, the Marvel's TV show or Miss Marvel season two or wherever else we're going to see uh, Kamala in. So we'll see.
1: Well, you know what? Those are some excellent points indeed. And I agree with you. Uh, I, you know, it was interesting because I was with a very uh, varied audience in the sense that, uh, granted, there weren't that many people, you know, sharing the theater with me, bearing in mind it was a Monday night. So I guess most folks don't go to the movies on Monday. And also it were, I always go and watch the movies in the original language because I can't watch movies dubbed and so it was in English with Italian subtitles which is what I do on a regular basis and a lot of um the theater, my fellow theater audience were either Indian or Pakistani and I and obviously having you know quite a quite a, a heavy presence of Pakistani characters in this one not only Kamala but her family it seemed like the the audience really related to the kind of jokes and the family dynamics of the Khan family, and that seemed to be one of the, the high points, at least for my audience. I frankly enjoyed it a lot as well. What I also appreciated about this was, yes, there was some comedic stuff, and yes, maybe some stuff was a little bit on the nose, like the Flurkins eating the crew of uh, of sort of a saber to the to the tune of "Memory" from the musical Cats, which. Might have been maybe a little bit heavy handed, but it made me chuckle. And plus, I love the song
0: Memory regardless. But we love that I, scene. We were all laughing, like crying laughing, because that scene was just amazing.
1: Well, and you, and you know, of course, I suppose they kind of had to throw in a, a, a song from Cats. And one of the most of memorable course. songs, of course, is Memory, which I believe opens the musical. But, and of course, you know, you have to love the Flurkins, they're fantastic uh, little race there. What I also appreciated was like I said, yeah, the comedy was there, but it wasn't excessive and it would make sense. There would be some comedic elements because of the fact that Kamala was present with her excitement of hanging out with her hero and, and what have you. So it was natural and not to mention the Khan family, which are of course, you know, a very sort of, there was entertaining and fun to watch. There's a lot of comedy in the Miss Marvel TV show. What I was kind of blown away by when it came to this particular film was, wow, so basically captain marvel was the cause of the kree scroll war which blew my mind i was like wow because we never really got the origin of why the kree hate the scrolls and why they're hunting them and it turns out it was all because captain marvel decided to go back to hala destroy the the, um the, the Supreme intelligence and basically after that everything went to hell and I suppose in the in the to the point of that the scrolls got blamed, and that's what started everything and kind of puts also I guess uh, secret invasion into perspective as well. So it's also an interesting commentary that when a hero thinks they're doing the right thing, they're actually causing more damage than doing good because you know Carol was, went on a rampage, destroyed the the great intelligence and so on, and everything went to hell. So I appreciated that. And of course, when we get to Darben, our villain, I will have few things to say because it was, it was a curious and it was an interesting villain to have when it came to this particular movie. And I will agree with you when it comes to pacing. I mean, as I said, this is the shortest MCU movie we've had to date and I think even though they were they might have had less time, I think they used it wisely. Yes, they could have maybe avoided showing us what we had already seen, i.e. the post-credit scene of the last episode of Miss Marvel. But maybe they were like, maybe some folks haven't watched Miss Marvel, so we kind of have to put things into perspective for you. But aside from that, uh, I-, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Not to mention little cameos we got along the way, which of course we will touch up on, and of course our mid-credit scene. So. I definitely enjoyed myself. I thought it was very entertaining. And it put a lot of things in perspective for me, at least when it came to, like you said, Carol and Monica, who still has to get her code name. And of course, uh, Kamala. So I guess since we have started talking about them a little bit, Let's start off by looking at the marbles themselves. We have, of course, Brie Larson reprising her role as Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, Tayona Paris reprising her role as Monica Rambeau, as I mentioned, yet to get her code name, and of course Iman Vellani as Kamala
0: Khan Miss Marvel. So what did you make of our trio of marbles, Keith? Uh I actually enjoyed them a lot in their standalone appearances. They were fun to watch. I mean, granted, I'm a little aged out for the whole miss marvel kamala kind of tv show but i did appreciate everything that went on in it i like the fact that when Bree's character carol and uh, monica meet for the first time there's that weird awkward tension because she said at some point when um she was what, what like 12 or 13 that carol's like oh, i'll be back when i've Done whatever I have to do, and she never comes back. So I get why Monica's a little kind of jaded because she's been waiting for literally two decades or or so, and then her mom has passed away. So Carol's really the only family she has left and kind of was left in the lurch. But you do see during the course of the movie that they the relationship blossoms and grows and matures, and they kind of all become this very much a dysfunctional family what i thought was very funny in the instance where miss marvel and um monica photon whatever her nickname is going to be or superhero name when they have to go explain to captain marvel what's going on you know uh kamala's like oh my grandma sent me this thing in the mail and that's literally what happened in the car you know in the cartoon in the tv show and then monica's like i walked through this thing and i now have powers so they managed to boil down the entire season of each of their shows or first appearances down to literally a paragraph, which I thought was very comical because if you think about it, that is literally what it was. It was Kamala's grandmother center of the bangle, which she did granted should happen, but whatever. And then with Monica, she walked through the, the hex field multiple times, which she did. And now she has these powers. So they cut down all the fat and they kind of boiled it down to the lowest common denominator just to kind of keep the story moving which was great because there was no extra you know let's have a flashback and see what happened kind of crap it was we're just gonna explain it and keep moving and captain marvel was like okay like doesn't question any of it and just keeps going uh it's fun to see them going on their little road trip across the universe especially when the girls meet captain marvel's you know husband on the musical planet and all this other fun stuff. It was great to see Valkyrie pop up. And you see that her and Valkyrie have this bond. Which hopefully they explain at some point. Um, in the MCU universe. You know, why they had this friendship. Or how this has kind of stood the test of time. Concerning all the crazy shit that's happened in the MCU. And I, I like that they kind of planted the seed with the bangle. I wish they kind of had explained explained a little bit more like why they were separated or hopefully they get to that at some point in kamala's story because you know she has them or she has one bad guy has other gets both of them then just arbitrarily decides to give up one and you're like but why like i i literally got stuck on that point at the end of the movie like that was that one point in the entire story i was like wait what why is this happening like i can usually kind of check out and go into like the virtual like okay this is the mcu and shit happens and blah 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 but there's always that one weird fact that like i'll pop that bubble and i'm just like stuck and you've just reeled me back into reality like how the fact that she had both power bands and then just decided to give one to captain marvel for no apparent reason that was never explained or just whatever and happened off screen like that was literally two minutes that they could have added to the movie i'm like all right cool like, now I understand, like, we're, we're best buddies, and this is how we communicate. And I have a bangle, and you have a bangle, and whatever crap happens. So, minor little issues with the characters in terms of the story, but I enjoyed them training on the spaceship. That was fun watching them ping pong around, practicing with their powers and everything. I will say I was very impressed that Kamala had some pretty epic fighting skills, considering she's only been Miss Marvel for eight months, maybe a year max. So that was a little weird. Otherwise, fun watch. I would legitimately watch these guys an entire TV series, watch a season of these three gallivanting around the universe, fixing like, you know, pairs in space and time.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that. I will say when it came to uh, that moment uh, where we find out that uh, Carol is none other than a princess, I have a feeling that was, of course, Disney slash Marvel Studios making fun of itself, as in, now captain marvel is a disney princess as well because of course the singing and everything else so i have a feeling that that might have been like an in joke because of course we know that the whole concept of the disney princesses and most of them break into song and so on so i have a feeling that was like we uh, disney owns marvel these days so they're going to be poke fun at themselves and do a little number which could have been come out j- right out of a disney movie which, 100% which, which I really appreciate. And I thought that was kind of fun that, that they did that. Kind of remind me a little bit when we had She-Hulk, where it was the MCU making fun of itself. And here it was kind of like, okay, we're going to poke fun at Disney because you know it's it's uh they own us, but we're gonna do it because you know folks will appreciate it. And I and I did for the most part. What I liked about this was of course, you know, seeing Kamala finally meeting her hero, Carol, and at first being greeted a little bit coldly and understandably because they're in the middle of craziness when it comes to fighting and so on. But then the fact that Carol turns around and apologizes to Kamala for the way she behaved, it might almost seem to be a redemption for the character itself, almost an apology to the audience. Not that she has to apologize, but it could almost be like, I'm apologizing to Kamala and I'm almost apologizing to the audiences and you always saw me as very sort of straight-faced and unlikable and I'm sorry if I came across that way. But that was just, you know, because of the way I was conditioned and the situation I was in. So I almost read that, read that moment as not only is is she talking to Kamala, but she's also talking to us. And it was, it was nice to see, it was interesting to see when Kamala gets to see that exchange between Monica and Carol, where Monica obviously calls her Auntie Carol and the whole thing, you went to where you'd said you, you'd come right back and you never did. And Kamala... It seems like almost her fandom and love for the character seems to vacillate just a little bit. She's like, oh, so is this the way my hero behaves? She promises people that she'll be back and she doesn't come back. But it's a very brief moment. And of course, they hug it out, if you will, because I think Kamala is very much the glue that holds the team together, where she's kind of inciting these, these group hugs and trying to bring that bubbly innocence to the team And I think both Monica and Carol uh, benefit from that, and it makes them more cohesive, and it gives the... She's very much... I mean, I know it's a very tired phrase, but she's very much the heart of the team when it comes to how excited she is next to these two titans, if you will, that are Monica and and Carol. But I I really love that. I love their their chemistry, and also be interested to see where Kamala goes from here, seeing as, I guess, now she has both Negabans and um so she'll have that and the fact that she now is playing the nick fury of the situation by by showing up at people's houses aka kate bishop and saying i'm recruiting a team which is of course a very a homage to uh, the infinity saga when it was nick fury kind of making bringing his team together so we'll have to see what happens when it comes to that but uh, but i i like that and, and you could tell that imam balani was having a great time playing this character and also especially kind of imitating Nick Fury. So so that was fun. I I just I just love the um, the whole vibe between them. Also, as I mentioned, the fact that Carol, Carol also kind of reminds me a little bit of Captain America in the sense that she's she lost her life and she's trying to come get back into the world and come back into contact with who she was before. Hence she's still using the scroll technology to kind of get her memories back. And so, so there is, I think that struggle for her and added to the fact that she hates being called the annihilator by the Cree. Heck, if we will call me the annihilator, I'd be proud of that name, but I can see why for her, it's very painful because she's carrying that burden made deep inside. She knows that what is happening in this particular adventure is on her as in, she stormed the castle, destroyed everything. And now we have darben is doing what she is doing because of what carol did so it could almost be um a a lesson if you will of don't act uh irrationally or rather don't let the anger consume you and rush out and destroy stuff maybe think about it a moment before you rush in i mean i know the blood is boiling at that time and like i want to destroy everything that was done to me but it can i think it also shows like the consequences of acting possibly a little too rashly in this like i said literally going you know half cocked and just destroying stuff and then you know you get the consequences that we got in this movie
0: no i agree with you i i think that's kind of the character flaw for many of our leading heroes in the marvel universe you look at say iron man iron man 3 he provokes the mandarin you look at Uh, dr strange he goes and reads the dark hold and kind of creates all these incursions so it's very much the the strong-willed characters kind of go off half-cocked and cause a lot of this collateral damage hell i mean look at tony stark in iron man 2 he creates ultron by on purpose but by accident you know he created it for a good reason but you know everything goes sideways. And I think that's kind of one of these things that you could be the good guy, but have bad consequences. You know, captain Marvel thought she was doing good, but didn't think, you know, this all the way through, this is kind of like, she is like the Thanos to the Kree. Basically she is Thanos to Kree. That's why she's the annihilator. So that's why it's kind of an interesting flip of the coin. Cause we are Used to seeing Thanos, you know, kill half the universe. Well, Brie Larson basically did the Captain Marvel's character did the same thing to the Kree, but she's the good guy. But you know, not to the Kree, she's the bad guy. She's again the Thanos that ruined their civilization. So it's all perspective, basically.
1: It very much is, and I would I I had kind of forgotten that you know the Supreme Intelligence basically kept Hala together, as in without it. The sun goes out, the waters dry up, and basically Harla is a dying planet. And I wonder whether Carol knew this when she went off to do what she did, or she simply did not consider what her actions would cause. And she was just, as I said before, so consumed by rage and desire for vengeance. that so she's like, didn't even think that basically by destroying the supreme intelligence, you are literally condemning Harla to death.
0: Uh, that's a a good question i don't know she may not have realized that because of all the civil wars prior that the supreme intelligence was essentially keeping everything spinning and you know just thought that like she knew that the supreme intelligence was you know the ultimate you know end all to be all that ran a civilization but she may not have realized how much of the civilization it actually did run so that's again the poor planning
1: Oh, it very much is the poor planning. And I do agree when it comes to Monica being a little bit um, skittish, if you will, when it comes to Carol and a bit standoffish, because understandably, she kind of holds a grudge when it comes to the fact that Carol abandoned her. She very much has abandonment issues. Like you, very well put. You know, she's still, I think, reeling from the the death of her mom from cancer and added to that. Her aunt, you know, her her aunt in, in her eyes, literally never showed up when she needed her the most and of course we had that whole thing of uh being reminded that monica was among the victims of the snap and so there was also that trauma as well and she was she pretty much had to fend for herself and go it alone without carol and so i can i can i can't blame monica for feeling resentful towards carol at first and then but then of course you know it is is short-lived and they're they're back on they're back to being friends again and monica then know literally um performs the ultimate sacrifice which of course uh we will be we will discuss more when we get to our mid credit scene but uh I, I in fact i was kind of worried i'm like oh okay is this going to be the end of monica no it can't be but uh, before she even gets her code name i doubt it but uh it was uh it, it was curious the fact that she had this very much um desire of you know i want to do good and i want to the point to where i know that our, our plan is going to um mean i'm going to be locked out on the other side of this wormhole and that'll probably be the end of me so there is very much that spirit of self-sacrifice which i guess is she might have inherited from her mom who was always about doing the right thing and being a hero and so on that and thus she was being a hero the way she knew how obviously as far as carol and, and the kamala concerned uh monica might as well be dead even though i guess there is that hope between them that they will that she'll be back in fact we get that very sweet scene at the end of the film where carol and kamala are in the plane in monica's plane and like i'm just keeping it here for when monica gets back or rather kamala says to carol i'm keeping you're keeping it here for till monica gets back and carol repeats that phrase so once again uh kamala being that the heart and the voice of hope that monica is not lost and that she will return so i i really like that and uh and i thought to uh, to, to add to the fact of Miss Marvel being so geeky, she was literally trying to figure out a name for Monica, which I thought was was hilarious. And uh, she even came across some names which might actually have been Marvel characters in the comics. So there was uh, there was that that was that was kind of fun too. So I, I appreciated that. So uh, anything else on these three characters, Keith? Before we get to our next one.
0: No, I, I think we, we kind of covered everybody pretty thoroughly.
1: Alrighty then. So I guess then let's look at our villain, if you will. We have a Zawi Ashton as the accuser Darben, who is of course a made-up character. She is not in the comics. So, what did you make of the uh, heir to Ronan, the accuser? Um,
0: kind of boring, honestly. You know, she was very much a one-note character. Yes, you know, the first time you see her she's digging a hole on a planet to get the the power band and then you see her jump to another planet with the scrolls and you know talking smack to them and blah 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 and then jumps to another planet because at this point you start to see that she's going after Captain Marvel and everything that she holds dear. And while I understand it because theoretically Captain Marvel took away everything she held dear, she's just, you know, Returning the favor, as it were. Uh, with that being said, and I've I've said this about the Scroll TV show, or you know, in, uh, Secret Invasion with the Scrolls. There are so many freaking planets in this universe that, like, they could have siphoned off ninety nine percent of this stuff from other planets before we even got to this story. So it seemed like a very, I don't know, simple story or simple cause to kind of get everybody tied together. Um. With that being said, again, to her people she's the hero and Captain Marvel is the villain. So it's all based on perspective. Granted in the bigger universe she is technically the villain because she's trying to destroy planets and kill races and, you know, just wipe things out because of, you know, Captain Marvel. Um I I'm not sad that she didn't make it past the end of the movie because again, there's not going to be much for her character to do other than see that captain Marvel holds up her end of the promise by restarting their son. Okay. Like, great, cool. She's still a a war criminal. She still wiped out two races. She still did all this other crazy stuff, genocide and whatnot to get, you know, captain Marvel to realize the error of her ways to a certain extent. So I, I, it was the very much just a, a plot device, as we, I always mentioned at least once. There's always that one MacGuffin or plot device that kind of keeps the story moving. It was literally the bad guy. You know, if this bad guy hadn't done, you know, forced a, a jump point and both the the ladies touching them with the crazy energy leaking out of them at the same time, almost none of the story would have happened. But because everybody's curious, I, I get it. You know, Captain Marvel's like, oh, let me see what this glowing stuff is. Touch it. No, never. Her of all people should have known better. And then at least Monica, she's still new to the whole interstellar travel and all the you know craziness of outer space. I could almost sort of, you know, give you a pass on that one. But to an extent, um, again, good enough. You know, I didn't expect a lot from this character considering I was like, Who's this person? Oh, generic accuser. Okay, fine. Whatever. You know, she wasn't a Ronin. Ronin was a a force to be reckoned, you know, all this crazy stuff where she was just like, I have a hammer, I got a thing, and I'm just going to gong it, and stuff's going to happen. Like, all right, that's a thing. Eventually, she probably would have died from forcing all of that energy through her body. So, given enough time, she probably would have passed away from natural causes. They just kind of expedited this along a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was curious that this time around, they decided to give us a non-comic book villain. And I suppose because if you you give us a non-comic book villain, you can kill them off and they won't be missed because they're not part of the greater law at uh, at large, if you will. But yeah, I mean, seeing as she's basically taking up the mantle where Ronan left off, I mean, like you said, I think it's very much the case of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And that's very much the case when it comes to Darben because i can't blame her for feeding the way she does because you know captain marvel swoops onto your planet destroys the supreme intelligence basically condemns your your planet to hell and you're left with the ashes literally left holding the baby as they say and and she's very much in that situation of how do i keep harla alive and and at the same time i suppose quench aqu- aqu- my thirst for revenge. And so I think she kind of tries to kill two birds with one stone by literally stealing the resources that Harla needs from planets that Carol cares about. Because, of course, we see this when 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 we go to the singing planets, as I like to call it, or where, where, she, where she takes the water, or goes to Earth to literally try and steal our sun. Because they're all, of course, planets that mean something to Carol. And that's how she's getting back at Carol for what she did to Harla. I mean, of course... She's going about it the wrong way, naturally. But I, I appreciate the fact that this is not just a villain being evil for evil's sake. And it's something that I really appreciate about the MCU movies at large for quite a few villains is that it's not like I want to conquer the world or I want all the money. There is literally a, a, a greater motivation to these villains and Ben is definitely one of them where it's like, I want to save my planet. And she's literally going to any and every extreme for that to happen. Even if it might be obviously uh, criminal or reprehensible, she'll do it. And at the same time, of course, because the grudge she bears Carol, she's like, I'm going to try and hurt her in the process while I do this. So, so I can see that. And yeah, I mean, I didn't really see that this character lasting past this movie. And then of course, when we got that moment of, she's wearing the, the two bands and then kind of bashes them together and then just literally, you know, turns to ash. Like, wow. Okay. So be interested to see the next person who tries to handle wearing both of them, if they are worthy, if you weren't able to handle them, it could almost be another case of um, you have to be powerful enough, like with the infinity stones to be able to wield an infinity stone, and hold it in your hand or add it to a weapon or what have you. So be interested to see if, you know, if Kamala has both bands uh, ostensibly eventually whether she will be able to control so much power and whether she might you know, get get an upgrade and become Quasar because that was something I was thinking about and you and I talked about this whether this could have been a roundabout way of introducing Quasar some way somehow
0: yeah that, that's what I was thinking just because of you know the history of those bands and that's maybe they're saving it for another character or something, but I feel like they've set Kamala up to be the next quasar. They do explain, you know, she is a mutant to a certain extent, and she's technically half alien because her was a great grandmother or great great grandmother from another dimension. So she she is technically a mutant. So we could see this go any number of ways. And she actually might be a Cree from her dimension, but they just call them something else mm-hmm. because it's another dimension. It'll be interesting I, I hope they turn her it's weird like i I'm that I want her to be quasar but then at the same time I don't I want her to be her own character because she's a character granted she's in name only based on the comic book but she has shown that she has um enough i'm trying to' was enough story left in her to kinda keep her in the universe for much longer, opposed to like, oh, hey, remember that America Chavez girl? Yeah, we're just gonna stick her somewhere and we're gonna forget all about her and never mention her again. Or, hey, remember that kid in Iron Man 2? Yeah, nobody does either. So cool, let's go. And then we're gonna forget about him also. Or, you know, all these other like random characters that they may be setting up for the long game of, you know, the champions or young Avengers or some other iteration of young Marvel superheroes but I feel like her character could go one of two ways. And I'm interested to see where it goes.
1: Mm. Well, no, that's a, that, that's a, actually a great segue because uh, getting to that point, we do get some fun cameos which could likely play into future films. You know, we did, of course, mention we have Tessa Thompson briefly appearing as Valkyrie who shows up and, from what I gather, transports those scrolls to New Asgard. So I guess... Increasing the, the the scroll population that we already had on Earth, and you wonder where then eventually all the scrolls will then just move to New Asgard. It's hard to say, but I'm assuming that's where Valkyrie took them. And like you said, it'd be interesting to see where, how, why Valkyrie and Captain Marvel are so, such great friends to the point where Valkyrie calls her Marv as a nickname. So they must be pretty tight to have that kind of that kind of relationship. And of course, we have Haley Steinfeld returning uh towards the end of this film as kate bishop hawkeye so do you have any theories when it comes to either what role valkyrie might have or the fact that hawk the kate bishop coming home has that encounter with um with kamala who is literally trying to recruit her
0: well i think with the hawkeye uh kate bishop that's going to be the the baby steps of introducing the Young Avengers or the Champions because the Champions has Kamala and um, uh, Ironheart, which we still haven't really fully embraced yet, and a lot of the younger characters. So there's potential or they could even go a completely different route and go something more of like um, they go to like Shield training camp together or something to that effect where they all train together and become this team and that's how they almost like they do a tv show like agents of shield where they gather this group of young kids together that have powers and abilities and then train them to become the next avengers or you know they lock them away and keep them as the um, ace in the hole depending on what's going on with kang because for all we know nick fury can know about kang and he's just kind of again setting up this extra safety measure with these young avengers because why not it's he he always has a plan b for his plan b <laughs> um in terms of valkyrie what kind of confused me a little bit is the fact that they took the remaining survivors of the scrolls and uh took them to new asgard why they didn't do this after secret invasion i don't understand so it's kind of a weird like head scratching moment like if you could have done this all along why didn't you do this sooner? And I guess the argument could be is like, well, the scrolls were set up on these planets and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it seemed a little weird because secret, I think secret evasion is technically uh, prior in terms of chronologically to this movie. So reasons. And then, well, I hope it's prior to this movie because then we have a super scroll kicking around the universe that we never see. So I don't know. Um, I guess we'll have to, look at the magic eight ball of Marvel um, Disney plus and find out where they stick this movie. There's a lot of potential there. They could be setting up for the age of Ultron, like a weird or age of Kang, I should say. And, you know, see where that goes. I hear that potentially they're going to have Mephisto in the universe. And that's another character that will be crazy overpowered. But I like the thing I like with Mephisto is he loses, but he's fine with that. Like he's there. His long game is long, like way the hell out long. Like he he starts things in motion now that he knows they aren't going to pay off for like decades. So there's a lot of potential with Mephisto. So I, I think depending on where they go with things, there's a lot of potential for the next two phases of the Marvel Universe. And then, Secret Wars is definitely shaping up to be a very interesting movie. And we'll talk about that when we get to the mid-credit scene. But I after watching that mid-credit scene, I was very like, Ooh, ooh, Secret Wars. I know what story they're doing. Like I started geeking out hard. And my girlfriend's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I know what story they're they're pulling this from. And she's like, What? I was like, I know, I know. And like I tried to explain to her and she just looked at me like I was crazy. So I'm actually not that I don't care what happens between now and Secret Wars. I'm looking forward to Secret Wars probably more so than I was prior because of the special guests that we get.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, and we'll definitely talk about those. I actually did have a question for you. Do you think it would be kind of cool where we might get the fact that now in the future when it comes to potential young, Young Avengers shows and such, if we get like we used to get in the Infinity Saga of a scene where Kamala shows up dressed like Nick Fury, like she did in this one, talking to the individual characters with the kind of famous phrase of I'm assembling a team. Do you think we might get that?
0: That would be amazing. And like each time she screws it up, like she just like trips over like a lamp or something stupid because it's Kamala and she's very klutzy. So I think that would be great. Uh, Or like one point, like she's there and then like Nick Fury pops up behind her and, and just something. But I hope she is the new Nick Fury of the young Avengers, or at least until obviously Nick Fury shows up. That way, it, it's a nice little homage to his character because, you know, Tony Stark popped up in the Hulk and then Agent Colson and so on and so forth. So I, I like the fact that I, I would definitely sign on to that.
1: I would too. I mean, I thought I, that's why it made me chuckle when it, that scene came because we literally have Kamala sitting in a chair with her back to Kate. And at first, it almost, I almost like, Are you poking fun at either Nick Fury or at uh, the the current Black Widow when Kate Bishop got home and she was there like Kate Bishop and stuff? And so it seemed that kind of moment. But I, I really appreciate it. And I wonder whether this is sanctioned by Nick Fury. I think it would be. And it wouldn't be happening under his nose without him knowing it. So uh, he probably was like, Kamala, I I might need you to to recruit some folks for me. I'm thinking. I don't think Kamala snuck under Nick Fury's nose and decided to randomly go around calling people. I don't know,
0: but who knows? You know, it's a 50-50. It it could. It could have gone that way. And it'd be funnier if it does. And then, like, he finds out when she recruits the last person. And he's like, what in the hell? You know, all Nick Fury. What the hell are you doing? Or some other Nick Fury-isms. And... He's like, well, I guess this is a thing now. And then like he's mad, impressed, and just kind of runs with it all at the same time. And he goes through like all of those emotions in like the span of like a minute or two. Like he sees this, he's mad because she did behind his back, impressed because she did it behind his back. And then he's like, Well, I guess we're gonna have to go with this because now it's a thing, and uses them to go defeat some bad guy.
1: Mm, That that might be it. I did, like I said before. I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but it did kind of make me smile seeing Kate coming home in her Hawkeye costume, and literally all the lights are off, and we hear Kamala's voice because it was very reminiscent of the one Nick Fury and also Yelena Belova in the Hawkeye TV show, where she's just like waiting. Granted, in the Hawkeye TV show, Yelena is happily getting preparing dinner for herself while waiting for Kate to show up, but. I, I love that kind of moment, and Kate seemed, you know, pretty collected. I was like, "Who the heck are you?" and and I guess we'll see. It would be nice to see where the rest of that conversation goes. So, before we do get to ratings, you you mentioned this rightfully, Keith. I'm sure we would definitely be remiss if we did not talk about what could be a pivotal mid-credit scene. Of course, of we get, course, yeah, of course, we get Monica. We re, we um, is revealed that is not dead. She awakes in this parallel universe where she's greeted by an alternate version of her mother, Maria, wearing a costume that comic book folks will recognize as being binary. The character, of course, binary. And we get none other than mutant scientist Hank McCoy, Beast himself, voiced fantastically, and this made me smile so much, by Mr. Kelsey Grammer, who had, of course, played him in X-Men The Last Stand and X-Men Days of Future Past way back when. So... Keith, what are your thoughts on our mid-credits scene, and how, how how much do you geek out over this one?
0: It was weird. I geeked out a lot, and then it like kind of opened this can of worms. And the reason why I say this is, I read a post somewhere on you know some fan site about how uh, Monica's mother has been Captain Marvel in different universes. And there's different, you know, if you remember in Doctor Strange, she was in that as the Captain Marvel. Here, she's binary, which is basically Captain Marvel as well. And you see her across the multiverse. It's more her than Brie Larson's character. So there's this weird rumor floating in the universe that she is a Nexus being, meaning she's the only one in the universe. That's why there's only one. Uh, Carol Danvers in all the multiverse. Same thing, like there's only one Scarlet Witch, so it'll be interesting to see that play out. The fact that you know they keep bringing her mother back as this, you know, in this case binary, and then you know the other one who was Captain Marvel and so on and so forth is kind of cool. I like the fact that they keep bringing her back and keep her in the flow. The fact that they got Kelsey Grammer to voice Hank was cool. The CGI was a little cringy but i get it you know they only had so much time and kelsey Grammer is a little bit older and he probably didn't want to sit through you know 12 hours of makeup just to do like three lines of dialogue so i get it the fact that they also mentioned professor x is cool i'm just curious as to like which universe this is because we saw in dr strange that scarlet witch murdered the illuminati in that universe so I'm wondering where this one is. Like it'd be great if it's like, you know, universe, you know, blah, 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 94. And that's for the X-Men from the 94 or double whatever for the early thousands. That would be amazing. Just the fact that they keep the years of the movies as part of the universe code. And I'd be like, all right, sign me up. I- I'm interested to see where all these characters go because, you know, seeing Patrick Stewart again as professor X would be awesome. Wolverine. Hell, Night crawler, all of these characters. There are so many of these OG X-Men that if they bring it in correctly would be amazing. And I think that's where the Secret Wars kind of plays in because this is where they'll fold all this, these multiverse characters into a single 616 or whatever number they're going to go with the dial, you know, of the core MCU planet. And that's going to be the new marvel universe from that point forward so then you'll get your x-men you get your fantastic four you'll get your silver surfer galactus yada 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 dr doom all these other crazy characters so i'm optimistic it just depends on who they cast for all these characters so there's so much potential because of this one crazy two-minute scene that you know It now opens up the multiverse. And then obviously we have Loki and whatever the hell happened in his TV show, which I don't know because I haven't watched a season yet. Don't spoil it, DJ Nick.
1: I promise I won't. (laughs) But I will say this. Um, I I don't know whether the reaction was like in your theater, but as soon as we got that moment and we saw uh, Beast from the back and Kelsey's voice and of course the OG theme From the x-men from the 2000s movies major gasp from my audience they were like oh my god it's amazing and i had not checked x formerly known as twitter recently and i'm sure that the news probably broken folks had been horrible and it for others but here nobody was expecting this and i was like oh my god this is amazing and i think you're right on the secret wars point or well, for all we know, this might actually be the way we bring Deadpool into the MCU. Seeing as why Deadpool Wolverine, you know, Hugh Jackman is reprising his role as Wolverine in Deadpool three, so this might be that universe.
0: That that is possible. We, I'm that'd be great too because you know uh, Wolverine is his normal age opposed to Old Man Logan age, so i'd be fine with that that'd be even cool to get an x23 now we're talking about multiverse there you go i'll take x23 and the young avengers i think that'd be a cool cool one to add in
1: i think so too i mean i believe the deadpool 3 is supposed to be the movie should we say that brings deadpool into the mcu i mean it's a a, because i that seems to have been the consensus granted knowing the Deadpool movies will probably be super far out and R rated and what have you. So that might not happen just yet, but it might, they might be building the blocks to finally getting the introduction to mutants. So I was really, really excited about this, this mid credit scene. And it makes me even more excited like you for the future Marvel movies. I mean, I know a lot of folks, um, there seems to be a bit of apathy when it comes to the MCU lately in superhero movies which it might be why this particular film is not doing as well as people hoped, or should we say, you know, the, the higher ups hoped. I don't think it might be people just hating on it. Um, one of my, one of my friends on the internet, Chrissy actually brought this up about it's probably more apathy than hatred because uh, as she rightfully said, if you hate something, you're literally taking, making the effort to, express how much you hate something whereas apathy you're just like i don't care i'm not going to go to the theater it just it's just over for me because me, a lot of folks after the infinity saga happened they're like okay that was a thing what's next so then they're not as invested in the superhero stuff anymore which could be why these movies are not making the huge bucks they made before do you have, do you have any thoughts on that uh,
0: no I, I would have to agree with that just based on some uh Com- comments and conversations I've had on social media, and even um, at my different jobs, people were kind of at that. Well, I'll wait for it to hit the streaming service. They're like, eh. Well, you know, I, I've seen all the other ones and they weren't really that great. So it's very, very much apathy. I, I know, you know, a couple of our mutual friends, like Holly, she loved it. I know other individuals that you know you and I communicate with. They all loved it. So I, I think depending on your level of nerdism that really kind of dictates if you enjoyed this movie or not, you know, people who are more like just the MCU fan, they're very much like, eh, it was okay. People who are diehard comic book nerds or sci-fi nerds or, you know, things of that nature, they understand the big picture. This is one of those movies Sort of like a tie in issue with a giant story arc in the comics where it's like 97 issues and each comic book has like one panel of random dialogue that if you cut it out, it makes perfect sense in the grand scheme of things. But overall, it's just like, well, this is kind of a a filler story to kind of keep us, you know, entertained with, you know, character B. And this is kind of one of those stories where like there's shit going on in the MCU, but at the same time, it also ties into this overarching story which happens to be the Kang Dynasty in Secret Wars so while we may not necessarily see every MCU character in say the Kang Dynasty we'll see them in Secret Wars because again this is setting up the long game so I, I think diehard fans will be impressed MCU fans or quote unquote movie fans they're going to be like meh, I could skip this and wait for you know Disney Plus or you know some other streaming service and I think that's Both DC and Marvel. Granted, DC shot themselves in the foot by saying everybody that nothing that comes out now is relevant anymore. That killed their revenue stream. Disney or with everything kind of I think flooded the market with necessarily sub quality stories in some respect. So I, I think like next year, I think we only get one Marvel movie. I think if I remember correctly, they're only doing Ah, uh, Deadpool. That's the only Marvel movie for 2024. So far, they're the learning- only one
1: scheduled is Deadpool three. Yes,
0: right. So they're learning their lessons. They may, you know, bring in another TV show, but they're kind of not beating us over the head with too much crap, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because as far as I know, we're getting what we're getting the the TV show Echo in January, which will be obviously the MCU TV show. Should be Echo's kind of solo stuff. We'll see what that happens with that and then like you said the one that's been confirmed and slated for for 2024 is in fact Deadpool 3 so i guess we'll see how uh, how that pans out i'm i'm personally uh, looking forward to and genuinely uh, excited and interested in seeing where where this next phase of the mcu will go and i think especially that post credits that mid credit scene we got in the marvels in this movie it made me even more excited compared to other mid slash post credit scenes We'd had in the past. I was like, this one is really cool. Now I really want this to happen. I suppose also having watched and experienced the X Men movies from way back when, and one like you mentioned in uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, getting um, getting uh, Professor X from that that series of movies, and here getting the 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 Beast that we'd had in at least two of those movies i was like wow i'm ready for this and uh and yeah and i and i think um the secret wars direction might be the ideal place to do this and i wonder whether like i said as we move on we get more and more building blocks to the mutants are coming kind of situations so uh it'll be interesting to see agreed so so uh, i guess then uh, if there isn't anything else uh, keith uh, let's get to ratings then what do you give the marvels out of 10
0: I'm going to go outside my my norm. Uh, I'm going to have to give this an eight. I I enjoyed it a lot. I'm even looking forward to hitting the streaming services so I can watch it again. This is a movie I would legitimately go see again in the movie theaters because there are so many Easter eggs and so many things that are going on that potentially you missed the first time or you could miss the first time if you're not like a Hawkeye kind of you know, scan everything that's going on and not distract me easily. So uh, I'm going to have to give it an 8 out of 10. Surprise. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to give this an
1: 8.5 out of 10 on this one, as I also thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Dare I say it was almost better than the first Captain Marvel movie, at least when it came to my personal enjoyment it was. It does build upon that story. I think it does add an important slate, as much as as a self-contained story is. It does add some extra elements as to what is to come, especially that mid credit scene. Uh, I thought uh, it was well-directed uh, when it comes to Nia da Costa on only her third movie, and uh, in the first time being thrown into directing a big-budget superhero film coming off of The Candyman. So uh, I say kudos to her for doing a great job on this one. So it's an eight and a half out of ten for me. So let's get to those recommendations, Keith. Did you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners when it comes to the Marvels?
0: This is going to be hard because... You know, the super villain of the week, as it were, is a character they literally kind of create out of thin air. I, I would tell you to check out the Captain Marvel uh, comic run that's been going on the last couple of years. They've done a lot of crazy stuff with her. Uh, same thing with Miss um, Marvel. She has been in the, the Champions and she's had her own story. They also just recently rebooted her comic book two months ago. So it's a good jumping on point. Uh, they've reset her origin, I guess that's a nice way of putting it in the Marvel comics, so I think those are good Um, in terms of binary and or not binary, I should say Photon that's a hard one because she hasn't had a a solo story for a while so I I would say check out her early run in the early thousands where she was part of the Avengers and she was pretty much a badass, she she could hold her own with Captain Marvel so I, I think It'll be interesting to see where they go with this one.
1: Oh, some great recommendations there. I'm actually going to say, folks, if you haven't seen them or you're feeling kind of nostalgic, I would I would suggest you guys go back and watch those those uh, X Men movies from the, the the 2000s, if you will. The Last Stand, maybe not as much, but definitely Days of Future Past, which was one of the one of the better X Men movies we had from that period. I'd say the first X Men film. And Days of Future Past are probably the best ones when it comes to at least being um, making sense when it comes to this particular movie. I mean, I would recommend First Class, but that's another kettle of fish. But yeah, in this case, definitely check out X-Men Days of Future Past. It's a really, really good film. So we do have some feedback today from listener David Proctor, who weighs in on today's movie. So Dave writes in, howdy, everybody. Hey, Dave. So I just saw the Marvels. I liked it. It felt like a fun little romp with a touch of seriness, seriousness that you need to make it not just fluff. There didn't seem to me to be any big revelations or cliffhangers that were left to be settled later. Well, I'd say that mid credit scene did, did leave a little things open there. It was a self-contained story and can be built on if needed, but you won't feel like you're lost if you miss it. I can kind of agree on that. I liked it. My wife liked it. Her only comment was that the cats needed more screen time. So I guess, I guess I can kind of get on board with saying, yes, we need more flerkins. I mean, uh, Keith, I guess you're a cat person. Did you want more flurkins like, uh, like Dave?
0: I, I would not be opposed to more flerkins. I'm going to have to agree with them on That one, it was one of those, you know, would you see her, you're like, okay, she's getting a little older and everything. And then the, the crazy flerkin eggs, which was <laughs> amazing. Um, I would be funny just to see, like, you know, or get more of an origin to the Flurkins because I think it's another one of those characters they just randomly invented for the MCU. But I would have to go and research that more. I would not be opposed to each one of them getting a Flurkin. Like, you see Kamala with a Flurkin, you know, Captain Marvel obviously has Goose and, you know, maybe another Flurkin, and then, you know, whatever. I would be 100% on board with that. You know, I would love the fact that like the flurkins are the ones that save the multiverse. Okay. We've, we've had weirder shit happen, why not? Well, after all Goose did swallow the Tesseract, so anything could exactly. happen. And it didn't <laughs> so, kill Goose, so clearly they got to be okay.
1: They got to be pretty powerful creatures, I think for 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 a, a um an infinity stone to be to be stuck in a in a flurkin's stomach and not do the flurkin any harm. So uh I, I definitely think there's there's more to these these great, these great crazy creatures. So Dave continues, I'm sure the cats eating the people and transporting the cats will be criticized, but it was meant to be fun. So it was. After all, comic books start with comic, as in funny. If I need darkness and gloom, I can watch Batman. <laughs> Greg, if you're listening, that one's for you. I give this, he gives this movie eight out of 10 Homemade posters from a teenager's wall. So it seems like Dave is uh, is in line with 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 your scoring there, Keith. Thank you, David K. Proctor. Well, thank you for that wonderful email there, Dave. I always love when you write in, and of course feel free to write in. Uh, uh, on our next episodes we love your feedback so of course dear listeners if you want to be like dave and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happiness at gmail.com once again that email is happiness at gmail.com for the show's support by giving us a like on facebook where you'll find us as happiness in darkness you can also follow us on x formerly known as twitter or at idarknesspod And finally, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps the show grow and allows our little show to reach even more like-minded, nerdy ears like yourselves. So keep that algorithm stimulated, kids. And a big thank you to those who have reviewed us and those who will. So, uh, Keith, when you're not here discussing flurkins eating people, where can folks find you on the interwebs?
0: Well, if they want to have a flirking good time, they can check out the Hour of Comics is upon us with a mutual friend of ours, John Seymour and Jason Gurin. Uh, We'd like to discuss comic book stories, origin characters, overarching stories and whatnot. Uh, I think we have a couple episodes coming up. We're doing the Contest of Champions. That should be a good run. And we also just recently did... Uh, poison ivy so you know definitely give us a check i know mr uh, dj nick here he was on our mask episode we had a good old time reviewing that little run right there so if you like something a little bit different but still in the the wheelhouse of comic books we are on uh youtube spotify uh facebook you definitely check us out uh hour of comics is upon us that's uh, a our gentleman uh jason seymour Jason, there you go. I just mashed them together. John Seymour, holding a picture of a comic book of a first appearance. That's him. Uh, Eventually, we'll have updated the cover art to have all of us when we're in a room together. Two bald men and an angry guy. Figure out which one the angry guy is
1: fantastic well i definitely look forward to that reunion of uh, the trio from the hour of comics is upon us and definitely folks be sure to check out that podcast it's very entertaining and i'm not just saying that because i had the pleasure of guesting on it but it's it's a really good show and it's uh, it always makes me chuckle when i listen to it when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I can be found hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play the very best and nothing but the best of country music for you guys, from Alabama to Zach Brown. For more information about that and when to tune in, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we're reviewing all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. Coming up, we will be taking on The Shape of Water, which I think is going to be, elicit quite a few interesting conversations indeed. And last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where we are reviewing. We're, we're ending our review of Loki Season 2. This week, we will be uh, reviewing the sixth and final episode of that season. And yes, there will be a lot to talk about, but I won't say any more and speed things to come on this show next time. We'll be heading all the way back to the nineties as we'll be taking on the 1990 Warren Beatty film, Dick Tracy. So Keith, anything else you would like to add on our next movie or anything else before we sign off?
0: You know me, I'm a sucker for a good pulp movie yeah. and Dick Tracy falls square right in the middle of that one. So I'm looking forward to watching this one. It's been a couple decades since I've seen Dick Tracy, so it'll be a fun watch.
1: I'm right there with you. A now what 33 year old movie, so we'll see how it holds up. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen wow. this one, so we're <laughs> to catch up again with Warren Beatty and Madonna, and I believe even even Robert De Niro's in this one. So uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun one. So for, of course, folks, we will see you next time with Dick Dick Tracy. Until then, thanks as always for listening the show and for the privilege of your time. Stay super shouts.